0: Welcome to the Colts Reunion Podcast, a conversation with former Colts players,
1: a look back at their career, what they're up to now, and how the Colts played a positive role in their lives. Welcome back to the Colts Reunion Podcast, our summer podcast series catching up with former Colts players going down memory lane discussing the positive impact the Colts and the NFL played in their lives. I'm Matt Taylor inside the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio and most Colts fans won't have to think back too far to remember our guest today. Offensive tackle Anthony Castanzo joins us. Retired after the 2020 season, played 10 seasons with the Colts after being drafted in the first round in 2011 played in 144 career games for the Colts and started all of them at left tackle. Costanzo was a gamer, fought through injuries and ailments as best he could. He started all 16 games in six of his 10 seasons and never missed more than five in the other four. He's often referred to as one of the most underappreciated Colts in recent past considering he was never named All-Pro or selected to the Pro Bowl. But his teammates, his coaches, and diehard Colts fans, they knew how integral Costanzo was to the success of the Colts. The team was just 3-12 without Costanzo in the lineup during his career. So without further ado, here's number 74 in your programs. Back with us again, Anthony Costanzo, AC. Thanks for your time again today, man. How are you?
0: My pleasure. You know, I'm more than happy to call in if you're going to hype me up like that. I'll I'll call in as much as you need. If you're going to talk that cool about me, I'm all about it. Always.
1: (laughs) Always. The phone line is always clear for you. So anytime you want to talk ball, we would love to have you. So this is so cool for us. Like I said, I mean, it seems like – I mean, it's not that long ago uh, that that you hung it up. But in in some ways, it it seems like a long time has passed considering – that's the NFL. It it goes so quickly, and you know so much happens. Storylines evolve. So let's talk about you first in terms of going back to the start, uh, going down memory lane a little bit. Let's go back to your time at Boston College. Coming out of high school, uh, was was it true that you you didn't have any major scholarships coming uh, out of high school going into college? I found that very hard to believe, but that's what I read. Yeah. Is there validity to that?
0: I was 100% validity. I had absolutely nothing. I um, I was six, seven, 210, 215 pounds. So, uh, you know, people basically said, you know, you're not fast enough to be a tight end. You're not you're not going to be big enough to play offensive line. I was kind of like an in betweener. Nobody really knew what I was going to be. And then, luckily, uh, you know, a coach from Fort Union Military Academy saw me at a one day camp at North Carolina, and was like, look. He literally said, look. You're a tweener. You need some time to develop. Come to me for a year, and we'll, you know, you'll have people knocking at your door. He was right.
1: <laughs> wow. So then, so then, how did you ultimately land at Boston College?
0: Then. So that was Coach John Schumann who saw me at the North Carolina camp. I went to Fort Union Military Academy for um, for one semester after my senior year of, of high school. I went out there. In August, I did um, summer camp, which was, I believe, if I recall, we had triple sessions for summer camp at Fork Union. It was no joke. Wow. Um, And and they, uh, you know, I had a really good season. I I was a real late bloomer, so I developed uh, physically a lot. So coming out of Fork Union, I was, you know, I still was no monster, but I was 6'7", 245 now, so I had gained about 30 pounds since the end of my senior year of high school and really started to kind of come in my own physically. And, um, and they really promoted me at Fork Union to colleges. And I had all kinds of scholarships. Um, and actually some of the coaches that I had really made good relationship with were some of the coaches from Temple University. Um, but I wasn't planning on going to Temple, but then they called me one day and, you know, I'm like, Oh, it's a coach from Temple cause in the car with my dad. I'm like, Oh, it's a coach from Temple. So I picked up and talked to him and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be heading that way. He's like, actually, we're at Boston College now, and I'm like, oh, really? I mean, no. <laughs> so yeah, then the rest is kind of history. I ended up going on a visit, really liked it, um, really meshed well with everybody, and just went, and yeah, the rest is history.
1: So you talked about you know hitting uh, a growth spurt or developing kind of late. You yeah. talk about your height. Were you always? I mean, when, when did you become six foot seven? Did you inherit that from well, your mom yeah. or your dad, or what? What part of your family did that come from?
0: Yeah, so both my parents are tall. My mom's five ten. My dad's six four. Um, and I mean, we've got athletics on both sides of the family. But uh, you know, when I when I came into high school, I was about five ten. Um, wow. So uh, yeah, I I went through every awkward phase you could possibly imagine <laughs> that someone going from five ten to six seven does oh, yeah, throughout yes. my high school career. And a lot of clothes, so, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, a lot of clothes, a lot of shoes. I was I was my sh- my own shoe size until I basically every year until I was eighteen. So I was like you know. I came into high school, I was whatever, 14 or 15, I had that size shoe. And then when I left high school, I was 18 and I had size 18 shoes. So yeah, it was like, you wow. Know, every, every year I was just growing taller. My knees were hurting, you know, I was getting, I was skinny. I would go through all the, like every weird phase you could possibly imagine. So that's not really what a college recruiter looking at it <laughs> like, yeah, this is what we need to come to our school. <laughs> but then yeah, after college or after high school, everything kind of clicked for me.
1: Well, once you got to Boston College, you talk about clicking, uh, you became the first true freshman to start on their offensive line since like the late 90s, and uh, you helped protect Matt Ryan, right? So you've got that great uh, quarterback, and obviously it ended up being a Colts connection there, and unfortunately you guys never played together in the NFL with the Colts. But did you realize then like how good you were and that you were destined for the NFL as a high draft pick like your freshman year or early on at Boston College,
0: you know, probably not my freshman year. My freshman year, I was just trying to survive. You know, I was so I was so like just singularly focused on on football and just trying to get you know because I mean I was still very undersized. I was two hundred sixty pounds playing right tackle in the ACC, mm-hmm. um, and you know I definitely <clears throat> I knew that I could hold my own and I felt like I was really starting to feel confident in my abilities. But still, you know, I was just trying to go out there each week and get my job done probably I would say towards kind of the end of sophomore year, I was playing left tackle and um, sometimes games started to feel a little bit easy for me sometimes. And I'm like, you know, maybe I got a shot at this uh, in terms of like the long term And then, you know, obviously my coaches started talking to me about it and um, it started to become more of a reality, but, you know, I never really thought about it like as like a major thing. So, you know, I was still doing my schooling. I'm like, you know, in case football doesn't work out, I got something else, you know, I get my, my biochemistry degree that I was, that I was working very hard for as well. So like, it wasn't like, at no point was I like, yeah, the NFL is definitely, you know, I'm that guy. I never really felt like I'm that guy. You know, I was just working, trying to do my job each play and things kind of happened to, to, you know, sure. I guess that was kind of the best way to get to where I was and I didn't even realize it at the time.
1: I mean, how much of a, how much of a goal though, was it for you? I mean, how much of a dream was it for you at that time to make it to the national football league?
0: yeah, I mean it was definitely it's been my dream since I was a little kid uh and you know everybody's got big huge dreams and it I guess the idea that it be, that it could become a reality kind of there midway through college mm-hmm. starting to realize that like the thing that I've dreamed about since I was a tiny kid could become real was was pretty surreal um so you know because of that you know I I definitely just kind of kept my nose to the grindstone but it was uh, it was definitely a dream come true for sure
1: all right, then fast forward. Take me back to draft night. I remember draft night for you okay. 2011. You're hanging out with your family. You end up going to the Colts in the first round, uh, but you're at the Italian restaurant that your family owns just out of uh, outside yep. of Chicago at the time. Did you think that you were going to be drafted by the Colts? I mean, how much interaction uh, did you have with them in the pre-draft process?
0: So not much actually. Um, I, I had just met with scouts. Um, I don't think I, if I recall, I never met uh, Bill Polian throughout the entire uh, process. Um, it was just kind of like a small little interaction with at the at the combine with the scouts, um, and you know it, it wasn't a place that I'm like, oh yeah, they're definitely going to take me. Um, and then on draft night, my my agent told me, you know, you could go anywhere from eight to 22. So he basically said. You know, if you get to 22, you're not getting past it. And I mm-hmm. knew that was the Colts. Um, well, he he was lucky that the Colts did take me because we would have had some we would have had some words <laughs> speaking if I had gone later. If you he might be finding
1: a new reason. agent.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was right though. You know, I got to the Colts and uh, I got the call, and yeah, that that night was a lot of celebration. It was it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I've told you this story before, but I was a producer at you know local radio station here in Indianapolis sports station, and. I was tasked – I was, you know, trying to – you know, I was up and coming and I was tasked with, you know, we got to get whoever the Colts draft that night. We got to get – because I think that was the first night or the first year that the first round was in prime time. And so they said, whoever the Colts draft that night, we got to get them on, on Friday. That was my job. So I called the Colts PR department. I called the Boston College PR department. And this is like at midnight, you know, like on, on Thursday. Right. And so I'm just sniffing around on Anthony Costanzo. I do a bunch of Google searches on you, and I come to find out or I read in a story that your family owns the Italian restaurant. So I'm thinking, all right, well, if they're going to be anywhere partying and hanging out, it's going to be there. So I, I I, I look up the phone number for Oregano's, right? Wasn't it Oregano's? Yep
0: think so yeah, that is what it was called
1: yeah so I I pull up the phone number for oregano's just a shot in the dark I call the number this is probably like 12 30 one o'clock in the morning and I think it was your I think it was your dad that picked up the phone that and I said right. I told him who I was and and he was like well this is his father and we set up the radio interview for the next day and I was a hero within the radio station getting you on so that's that's a huge claim, claim to fame that I have uh, when it comes to your story and your draft. Now. That's right. That's exactly right. So, as I said, you were um, born in Hawthorne Woods, Illinois. Again, that's you know, 35, 40 miles outside of Chicago and uh I remember your family was consistently at your games, right I mean, what, what did oh, yeah. it mean to have your family, I should say, come to every game and be able to make those trips to Indianapolis growing up in nearby Illinois? What did that mean to have them It's not a peewee game, it's not a college game, but they're there supporting you along the way in your journey in the NFL well,
0: you put me you get you put me under pressure here because my mom's literally sitting in the room with me right now. she's visiting me right now, so oh, she's in the perfect. room watching me do the interview so. <laughs> So I got to speak extra good about my parents and she's right here. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's a, it it, it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was that consistency, you know, regardless of what happened in the game, whether, you know, we won the game, whether we lost, whether I played well, whether I played poorly, whether I got injured, whether I didn't, um, it was that consistency that, you know, I'd have support regardless of how everything went after the game. Mm -hmm. You know, we'd come back to the house, we'd have pizza. And um, it, it just kind of put everything in perspective in terms of like, you know, what's important and the fact that, I had my family there supporting me. It was huge.
1: No doubt about that. All right, now, so again, you played you played big-time football at Boston College, but there's always that learning curve or that adjustment going <laughs> from college to the NFL. What were some of the biggest adjustments that you had to make going from Boston College to the Colts?
0: Well, I had a 10-year career, so I had about a 10-year learning curve. <laughs> I don't think the learning curve ever stopped in the NFL because guys just keep on getting more, you know, more impressive physically and, mm-hmm. and learning uh, new things. But yeah, when I first came out, you know, I, I my learning curve was about as steep as it gets because I went into training camp against Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I it, it, nothing could have possibly helped me more than that because uh, I learned real early how to come back after getting beat because I got beat a lot in that first training camp. Uh, And had to, and you know, because in college, when you're a top guy, you're not getting beat a lot, whether it's in practice or in games. Um, It just doesn't really happen. That's why you get selected high. But when you get into the pros, you know, it's going to happen. Like uh, uh, it happens to everyone. Like um, so, having that experience early on in camp where I was going against two of the best in the game at that time was huge in steepening my learning curve, seeing that speed, seeing. Such polished moves, you know I had never seen a spin move like like Dwight could do. I hadn't seen a get off and you know a dip around the edge like Rob could do I hadn't seen you know I had seen those moves, but I hadn't seen them that crisp and that quick so it was just you know that extra little speed that extra little technique that um that you had to you had to play with it was just kind of I refer to it as a tightening of the screws it was like I was playing the same game I was just playing it. I had to play it a little bit crisper, a little bit uh, more precise.
1: Well, what did that do for your confidence? I mean, how much of that was an ongoing battle for you early on as a rookie with the Colts, just mentally getting through that? As as those guys are winning some of those one on one battles against you.
0: Well, it, it was it was you know honestly it was it's not great for confidence, but it's it's weird. It's kind of like a uh, it's kind of like an ebb and flow because it's like okay, my confidence. Uh, you know I'm getting my butt kicked by Dwight in practice okay so my confidence is at a very low and then I go to the game and I'm like oh this guy is way slower and not as good of a pass rusher as Dwight Freeney is so my confidence goes up And you know it's just kind of like an it, it's a constant managing you just can't get too high or can't get too low right kind of the idea throughout I mean that's kind of what I uh what I had to do throughout my entire career it's like You know, if you're having a good streak where you're playing really well, you can't be like, oh, I'm on top of the world because then somebody's going to make you crash down. Right. And if you get beat a couple of times, you can't get down into the valley where it's like, oh, I'm the worst player who ever played the game because then it's that much harder to dig yourself out. So it's just a constant battle um, throughout, you know, and it was a constant battle throughout my entire career to kind of keep on that midline of, you know, just keep working, just keep working.
1: Well, like I said, you you started right away early on as a rookie. That entire rookie season, you were the guy at left tackle. And you always hear about, you know, for for rookies, things are happening 100 miles an hour coming from college to the NFL. Going along with with everything that you just said, was there a time where you started to feel comfortable or you know, when things kind of slowed down a little bit for you during your rookie season?
0: You know, it's a shame because my rookie season, probably around game three, I started to feel pretty good. And then in game four against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I destroyed my left ankle. And so I was out for four games uh, with that ankle injury. And it was it was a real shame because I had, I had really started to feel comfortable. And then I did that, came back from the ankle injury, I think it was game eight, and it was an injury that was bad, and I knew I was going to get surgery on it at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But it also couldn't get any worse because I had a, a ligament that was completely torn or a tendon that was completely torn. So, like, you can't tear it more than it's already torn. So we basically casted up my ankle and I played the rest of the season on a, you know, basically casted ankle. It wasn't like a true cast, but I mean for every game and every practice, we would basically tape it up. So we would put a brace on it and then tape it. And it was basically a cast. So um, it was just kind of fighting to get through the rest of that rookie season. then I did my surgery in the off season, did a lot of rehab. And then the second season uh, there were some games that I started to, you know, really feel it and feel more confident and started to feel better. Um, but I, you know, I, I would say not really until my third season did I really feel like, okay, I'm in a bit of a groove and I can I can get going here. Right,
1: no doubt about that. It's incredibly tough. I mean, 99.9% of the audience listening to this, me included, Anthony, uh, we will never understand what it's like to play left tackle in the NFL. It's such a, a tough job often, as you know, it's a thankless job. I mean, you do your job 99 times out of 100, but everybody's talking about the one time where something leaks through. So with that in mind, who, who was the toughest defensive end you ever had to face in a game? You talked about Robert and Dwight in practice, but in a game, who was the toughest guy to go up against?
0: You know, it's funny when, when you ask, I, I bet if you ask a bunch of linemen that, it's like guys have, there are it's, it's matchup problems. So like, you you'll get every once in a while you'll get the guys like like dwight who probably most guys who play against him say that's the toughest guy they played against, but a lot of things with tackles, it's like who matches up really well against my skill set that their skill set is you know it, it, it is good against that um and I would say for me, there are two guys who come to mind that uh that I struggled with or actually there are probably yeah we'll, we'll say two guys that that I say would would be on my list and that james Harrison um had you know, with him being as as short as he was, he had a rip move. Because, like, everything's about James Harrison and his power and his bull rush, but he would just use that to set up this rip move that he would do where he would try to get you to lean, and he would essentially latch onto your left arm and pull it down, and he could get around the edge, and he beat me with that a few times. And it was a very difficult move for me, being as tall as I was, to bend bend down and to use my legs and my leverage rather than trying to just keep him at a distance. Um, So, yeah, James Harrison was very difficult. And then another guy who just had... An arsenal of polished moves that could he could go speed power in out um, is Robert Quinn and he's still playing at a high level so mm-hmm. uh, you know the, I would say those are the two guys that really stick out in my career as uh, you know guys that I had to game plan a little extra hard for I had to think about a little bit more when I was out on the field.
1: All right, let's go. This is an oddball question. What was more? What was more nerve wracking? Let's let's use the phrase nerve wracking facing James Harrison, Robert Quinn, or Going out for a pass in the end zone against the Patriots and catching that touchdown pass. What was more, that, g- gave you more jitters?
0: That's the easiest question you possibly could have asked. And that is playing, playing left tackle against those guys because never in my career was I more confident than on that on that play where Reggie Wayne came into the huddle. He literally came into the huddle, looked at me, said, "Don't screw this up," and I'm like, "What?" And I, I'm thinking like, oh, they're going to put me on an island one on one against somebody out here, and then they call it the play for me to catch the pass. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to score a touchdown. Like, not a single moment of any doubt went through my head because throughout <laughs> my, I mean, throughout my life, from when I was five years old to now, there's nothing that I've been more confident in in my abilities than catching a football. <laughs> and that that includes pass setting. That includes yes, gun blocking. Yes, includes yes. Because you're, you're just I an athlete. More, there is nothing I am more confident in than catching a football. So when he when they called that play, I'm like, I'm about to score a touchdown on Sunday Night Football. Let's do this, and I did. That's it was, right. Uh, it was pretty amazing.
1: That's right. It was Sunday Night Football. You're exactly right. It was prime time against the New England Patriots on yep. no, November 16th, 2004 or 2014, I should say. But you already knew that. I'm sure you've got that date I, earmarked in
0: history. I definitely I knew that because my claim to fame throughout my career is the fact that. On that play, Reggie Wayne was used as a distraction so that I could get open. <laughs> and, he was supposed to pull the corner in so that I was open on, out on the in the flat to catch that touchdown. My only big issue is that we didn't call it again. I mean, I was so wide open. Like,
1: <laughs> Later in the season, yeah. That? Now, do do you remember, I mean, what was going through your brain? Like, Andrew Luck, you know, that ball's coming to you. It's in flight. You see the spiral coming your way. Like, what's what's going through your mind as the pass is coming to you?
0: I can't wait to celebrate. <laughs> that was, that and you was, did. Yeah, that's the great. That's what I'm talking about. Like it's the feeling that I had in that moment of like I am supremely confident in this. Like not a, an ounce of doubt going through my mind. Like I just can't wait to celebrate. I'm like, man, this is what wide receivers get to feel all the time. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> here, I, here I am playing tackle, just trying to grind and block guys. Meanwhile exactly. wide receivers are having the time of the, having the time of their lives catching touchdown passes.
1: And, and the celebration, right? Was it was it Mortal Kombat or was it Street Fighter? No, it was
0: street Fighter, yeah, okay. Street Fighter, and and, and yeah, what was what was
1: the motivation there?
0: So it was it was the Dalseem celebration. So when my brother and I used to play Street Fighter, I would play Dalseem with Dalseem, who is the cheapest character in the game. Like you can just stand at the other side of the thing, and my brother would get so mad. And for whatever reason, when he would get so mad. I just thought it was that much funnier when Dulcine would do his stupid celebration at the end. <laughs> so I guess it, it, through that, it became my favorite celebration. So I'm like, that's what I, that's how I'm going to celebrate my first <laughs> touchdown. And I did.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I, I wasn't as much into that game as, as you were, obviously. But, I, I mean – I, I did recognize the dance or the, the yeah. motions, you know, that you were doing. I was like, I think that's right. from a Street Fighter game, but I have that—that that was the extent of it. Let's stay there. Let, I mean, this is going way back. I mean, how much did you enjoy? Because I know you're into technology. I know that you're—you know—you like computer games. Have you always, you know, been a gamer, you know, so to speak, growing up?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, from Nintendo. I mean, tech. I remember Tecmo Bowl. It was crazy. Tecmo Bowl on Nintendo. You couldn't actually save your game, but it would give you like a code as your like every game that you would beat throughout the season. It would give you like a code at the bottom right. The next time you came in, you could plug that code in and continue on where your season was. So playing games even when you when you couldn't save it on Nintendo, then mm-hmm. Sega, and then I was always a PlayStation guy. Um, so I went PlayStation, PlayStation Two, PlayStation Three, and I've actually I'm actually looking at a PlayStation Five in front of me Thattaboy. right now.
1: So. Attaboy. a <laughs> boy. boy. All right, yeah. lastly, about that play, what, do you remember the play call? Like, what was the name of that play, if you can share it?
0: Do you remember? The Jack Jack AC Pass is what we called it. I don't I don't know why it was Jack, but I know that AC Pass meant Anthony Costanzo Pass. Yeah, did. I'm about to cut, catch, catch a touchdown. So, yeah, <laughs> I definitely remember the name of it.
1: No doubt. So, you're one. You're and, one... you know,
0: props to Andrew, too, for giving me a really catchable ball. <laughs> he didn't he didn't whip that thing in there. Yeah,
1: no, go. yeah, that was that was put so anybody could handle it. Not that you couldn't handle a normal pass, but yeah, that was that definitely had some touch on it. All right, as as I said earlier, you know, the, the Colts were just a different team when you were out there compared to when you weren't, Anthony. I mean, your last season was case in point. If you go back to 2020, um you played in 11 games, the Colts were 9 and 2 and averaged almost 30 points per game when you were out there. Mm-hmm. Without you on the field that season, in four games the Colts were just one and three. Hmm. So I, I know you're a humble guy, but I mean, do, do you realize how important you were? And and does it bother you that you never got those Pro Bowl nods and things like that? I mean, d- does that matter to you?
0: You know, honestly, no. Um, I think it matters more to my dad than it does to me because <laughs> he'll, he'll he'll be like, you know, that was BS. Sure, to say that, but uh, for me, I you know, I felt like. The players on the team, um, the guys that were were relying on me, knew the preparation that I put in. They they knew how much I cared, and they knew um, that I was going to get the job done. For me, that's that's what mattered. Uh, you know, the the organization valued me. Uh, they they showed me how much they valued me, and I appreciated that. Um, so you know, I I I only controlled what I could control, which was I went out there and tried to do my best every every play, and how people were going to see it up to them so mm-hmm. yeah I, it doesn't really bother me I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I am happy with my career
1: and and during your career you played with 11 different starting quarterbacks from 2011 <laughs> to 2020 i'm not going to ask you all of them uh, but yeah. but 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 how tough was that i mean you had injuries you had retirements roster turnover free agency that all kind of played a part in that how tough was it for you to play left tackle? With all those different quarterbacks, so often, especially towards the end of your career,
0: you know it just becomes. Um, it, it was like just pulling out different tools in my toolkit, kind of, because the the different quarterbacks played differently, and you you had to block differently for different guys. Like um, right, like like Andrew would like to. Well, earlier in, in, in Andrew's career, he'd like to escape kind of out to the left, kind of the way that you see like Russell Wilson do when he does like the the kind of the spin and runs out to the left. Andrew used to do that a lot, so I knew that. <clears throat> If my guy went inside, I could just wash him across Andrew's face, and he liked to get out to the left and, and make plays with his legs and stuff like that. Um, whereas a guy like Philip Rivers liked to stand right in the middle of the pocket, and I knew as long as I did anything but let my guy get inside, like he, I could, uh, I could kind of run him by on a short edge. And Philip was good because he was going to be, he was going to drop back and step up in the pocket and throw from in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, like, those are two extreme examples, but just kind of show the difference between. Quarterbacks, you you have to really, because I mean, at, at tackle, the, to think that I'm just going to set out there and stonewall a guy every play is not a realistic expectation. So, um, kind of luring guys and taking them where you want them to go is a is a really important part of the game, and you have to understand your quarterback in order to do that. So, um, consistency at quarterback was huge when when we were able to get it.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. And as we said earlier, I mean, uh, as a rookie, you come in, you start right away. Now that you're no longer on the team. The Colts are looking for a stability at left tackle. They they may have found that with Bernard Ryman. I uh, was going into his second year. I mean, if, if you had a chance to talk with a young offensive lineman and, and give that guy some advice going into training camp, what what would you say to a young left tackle trying to make his way and carve out a 10-year career like you did with the Colts?
0: Well, I actually got that opportunity. I, I spoke with Bernard last year. Oh, even better. And, and I And I could say that, I was extremely impressed with when when we talked and about some various technique things. Um, he immediately implemented them implemented them, and I could see him in the game. And he improved greatly. Um, so like just that coachability and the fact that he kind of knows uh, knows the game. I, you know, I I think that Bernard's gonna be really good. I I thought towards the end of the season he started to look really good. Right. Um, he definitely had some some. Uh, issues early on but fixed a lot of the things that he was having issues with and to see that that early in a career is really good but what to say to him uh the biggest thing is kind of what i was just talking about is don't expect to stonewall a guy every play because that's that's how at left tackle the number one thing that you can't do is get beat early because if you get beat early that guy's going to have a running start of your quarterback Mm -hmm. and is going to destroy him and that's when quarterbacks get hurt that's when fumbles, sack fumbles, uh, return for touchdown, that kind of stuff happens. So <clears throat> basically it's, the you know, talking to, the, to a, a young tackle is just kind of maintain that width of the pocket. You don't have to go out and get a guy. You don't have to get him early. You don't have to try to initiate the contact. It's have confidence in your strength. That's the biggest thing is um, off season, get strong, get, you know, flexible so that you can have confidence in your strength so that if a guy bull rushes you you know you can anchor because if you if you play for the bull rush which a lot of people do in college but if you play for the bull rush you're going to get beat every which way so it's that that patience is the is the key patience and confidence in your own strength is kind of the key for a young guy just starting out to try to feel the game in the NFL
1: for you you know going back to your off seasons in the NFL like if you're not rehabbing an injury um, as an offensive lineman, were, were there specific things you worked on in the off season to get ready for the upcoming seasons? I mean, after a while, you got so good, and how tough was it to find, you know, subtle nuances to get better at each and every year going into the upcoming seasons?
0: Uh, I mean, it it was it was actually pretty easy to find. It was uh, you know, it's it, I would essentially create a goal at the beginning of every off season. Like this is the number one thing that I want to improve on, and. Um, you know for me football was a 365 days a year 24 7 job I was getting you know I wanted to make sure that I got my eight hours of sleep every night I got my meals I got everything it's Mm it's a it's a life it's truly a lifestyle but uh, finding those things um, finding those things that to kind of work on is it's it's essentially scouting yourself so whenever I would watch film it would be so much less about who I was going against, and so much more about what am what am I seeing from myself because I'm seeing the same thing that they are. So I would pick out my weaknesses, and I would try to even week to week uh, work on things in the weight room or work on things that could try to you know cover up those weaknesses or make them my strengths. And then in the off season, just kind of take that to the nth degree and just essentially watch film of myself. And I mean, even in the weight room, I would film myself, and I still do to this day. Uh, just to see how my body moves and to see, you know, where those weaknesses are that, you know, you can shore up little things Mm -hmm. because moving efficiently, because everybody's strong in the NFL, everybody's strong, everybody's fast, but being able to access that strength and move efficiently is so key um, to, to being able to, when people talk about the game slowing down, it's because they don't have to think about how their body moves. It's that they can literally just watch what's happening in front of them and their body moves the way that they want it to. And that's, that's the ultimate goal,
1: and the NFL—it's—it's it's a business, man. It can be cruel. Not many guys get the chance to retire after playing for just one team. Uh, how yeah. much does that matter to you? You played ten seasons with the Colts after they drafted you in the first round. What kind of place do the Colts have in your heart and and in your life from here on out?
0: Yeah, I mean it's massive. Uh, you know, it's it's the, like that's the goal. I mean, when you get drafted, you. You want to prove to that organization that drafts you that they did it for a reason mm-hmm. and that and and then they want to keep you around um and you know i was lucky enough to get drafted to an organization that just fit me perfectly and it was you know one that cared about character and uh you know people who worked hard um and did everything they could to, to help the team win and that's what the the, the culture are ultimately about winning um and they're ultimately about people and it's a it was just a great combination for me i mean i it, I don't think that there could have been a better fit. I don't know if my career would have been as successful as it was in any other place. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of one of those things that just worked out perfectly, and uh, yes. I'm extremely grateful for it.
1: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, we, we feel the same way getting to know you a little bit and uh, you know, getting to understand your personality. And, and with that, when you were here, I, I know that you loved food. I mean, I know you love making dinners and trying out new recipes. I know you love movies. We talked about that when you were here. I know you love video games and technology, like we talked about. But with that, I gotta ask you about this phase that you were in. I think it was like 2016, and I have yeah. it on—I have it on good authority—during training camp that season, you fell in love with Pokemon Go and the oh, cra- the, the craze that dark. was Pokemon hey. Go. Okay, can, that's can, a dark. That's a dark
0: moment. <laughs> <in my life. laughs>
1: so I, I, I may or may not have talked to one of your former teammates about this. The story goes that maybe you entice some interns to drive you around the campus of Anderson University during training camp to find <laughs> these these digital Pokemons uh, when the fat yeah. when the fad was going on. Do you care to elaborate on this?
0: So, my obsessive <laughs> personality, where I'm I obsessed over football for a very long time, carries over into other things <laughs> occasionally, and uh, Pokemon Go happened to be one of those things. And that was uh, that was a year where, uh, you know, if I had a free moment, I was trying to, uh, catch, I was trying to catch them all. You know, I was, it, it is the ultimate goal and, uh, yeah, dr- driving around training camp and we had free, uh, free time. It was, uh, it was driving around a little bit and, and there were some, there were some rare ones on campus over there at Anderson. So we had to get them, but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, I, I legitimately, I had to delete that app from my phone and essentially quit cold Turkey. It was like, it was like quitting an addiction. It was, uh, it was pretty intense. So, I'm glad that I'm over that that uh aspect of my life.
1: <laughs> what was what was the weirdest place on campus where one of these pokemons was was hiding?
0: Uh so you know the 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 spot that was always that we always had good ones if I do recall was uh right behind the meeting room so like at night behind the like uh right where we would meet was like kind of in the corner of campus and right behind <laughs> uh there was always something rare hanging out so you'd get like five or six guys from the team back there just uh getting after them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean you're you're a huge you're a,
0: <laughs> You had to bring up the darkest point of my entire career. Well you can thank my Joe Wrights for that.
1: I talked to him the other day. I said, I'm talking with A C and he goes, Oh, you gotta bring up Pokemon Go in two thousand sixteen.
0: Goodness gracious. I, yeah. That is that is hilarious. I'll have to get Joe for that one. Yeah, you
1: gotta you gotta pay him back on that bad boy. Yeah. Well I appreciate you playing along with that. But I think it illustrates just kinda like what a what a huge kid at heart you are. I mean, you love hanging out with your friends. You always give back. Right. I mean I remember the Riley Christmas caroling and uh, the twenty-five days of the baritone Christmas back in the day. <laughs> that, that was always fun. Have you always been kind of a fun-loving guy? I mean, how how important is that for you to kind of stay the way that you are, be grounded in your personality, and just you know be kind of humble and easygoing in the way that you live life?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's extremely important. You know, I, mean, I think that kind of comes from the values that uh, were kind of instilled in me by my family, and the fact that I'm I'm a youngest brother. I mean, I'm the youngest of four and i'd say probably the biggest part of my personality is that i'm a younger i'm a youngest brother so like i you know that i'm just that's just what i am i'm i'm a little kid at heart and, um and i was fortunate enough to be able to play football as my career so i never really had to really grow up so yeah uh, i i understand what a blessing that is and i and i'm not going to grow up you know and you can't make me
1: <laughs> <laughs> we would never do that to you brother we would never do that to you we like you just yeah. the way you are lastly to close out I'm kind of putting you on the spot, I apologize, but 10 seasons with the Colts AC. I mean, do you have any special moments or what? what's your favorite Colts moment, whether that was personally or team-wise uh, through a decade putting on that horseshoe helmet?
0: You know, I'm, shoot, I mean, it's, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I, when I think about it, it's just kind of the, it, a lot of it is not on the field stuff. It's um, the relationships that, you know, I've built with guys Uh, kind of the hugs after games, the, you know, the, the, the good locker room moments, um, uh, the, you know, even just like the parties after, after big wins, you know, Andrew would have us over to his place and we'd, you know, we'd celebrate big wins. Um, those are the things that really stick out to me because football, you know, on the field, football is football, you know, you're out there. It's a, it's kind of a very in the moment sort of a thing where you're just every play trying to get your job done. But it's when you're off the field and you're just kind of hanging out with the guys where you can really kind of let yourself, you know, experience and make memories. You know, mm-hmm. that's the, the, those are the things that really stick out to me. So, you know, I mean, some of my closest friends are still the guys that I played with. And I think that's a really special thing um, that it, you don't get it everywhere. So, yeah. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about football is the the relationships
1: going back to what we talked about at the top I mean it's only been two seasons since you retired i mean does it does it feel like you've been out of the game for a while
0: yeah I mean <laughs> yes it does uh you know it, it definitely feels like i mean i it's funny I kind of just when people ask me you know like what what's your what's your life kind of look like I essentially say I live my life in a perpetual off season whereas <laughs> I'm still trying to improve myself <laughs> both physically and you know just it, throughout my life I'm just trying to improve things it's not even though there isn't a season on the cusp, mm-hmm. it's like I'm constantly getting ready. I'm just uh, – it's it's nice.
1: It's a great way to live life. It's all about perspective, and you have it. Anthony Costanzo, 2011 to 2020 with the Indianapolis Colts. I know you got a ton going on. I know you're still busy despite retirement, so can't thank you enough for your time today. Anytime you want to tell some old stories or get Joe Wrights back on the air, I'm up for that too. We can do that. I can set that up. So – Anytime you want to talk ball, we'd love to have you. Continued success and enjoy the rest of your summer coming up, AC. Can't thank you enough.
0: Appreciate it, man.